Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. What is going on, everybody? And welcome back into the doghouse. It's been two weeks since we've done an episode of the doghouse with Halloween last Tuesday and me having these two little kids running around this house. Uh, there, there's there's some things that are unforgivable when you have little kids, and one of those things would be skipping Halloween. So we had to do Halloween. We had to collect candy. That's all said and done, and we are back here in the doghouse i'm your host michael key follow me online at garage beers mike and before we get kicked off with our episode this week make sure you are tuned into everything obr get over to the obr.com and subscribe over there for all the best written browns content that you're going to find on planet earth it all happens on the obr and make sure whether you're watching on youtube or twitch you are tuned in and subscribed to the OBR. We do five nights a week during Brown season. Mondays with Jake, Tuesdays with me all night. And that brings me to my next point. Hang out with me here on the on the doghouse. When we're done with the doghouse, go grab a beer. Hang out for an hour. Kiss the kids goodnight. Whatever you got to do. Say goodbye to your wife. It's fine. And then come back in because Garage Beers is live tonight at 9 p.m. with really special guest the one and only Aditi Kinkabwala. She was on the sidelines for the Browns-Cardinals game this weekend. We're going to talk to Aditi, uh, just have a beer with her, talk about the Browns, and talk about the AFC North. So make sure you're tuned in at 9 p.m. for that. And then tomorrow night, it's OBR Weekly with Barry and Fred. Thursday night, it's All Eyes on Cleveland with Brad Ward and whoever special guest he has on. And it all leads in to the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens coming up this Sunday at 1 p.m., from Baltimore. So I've got a great guest for you tonight. Again, if you're new to the doghouse, if you're not familiar with the doghouse, make sure you uh, uh, buckle up because we got a good time coming up. Uh, I am going to bring in for the second time. Uh, you guys liked him so much, which is a weird thing to say about a Baltimore Ravens person, but you guys liked him so much that I had to have him back. Uh, he is, he just sent me a text and said he's going to be on very shortly. Uh, but Kevin Ostriker from the Lockdown Ravens podcast and from the Ravens Wire is going to join me. And we're going to preview this Browns-Ravens game, which I can't wait to look back at the last one because a lot of weird things happened between the time Kevin and I talked last and by the time the Browns and the Ravens played the first time. Uh, we did a whole preview and then none of it really mattered by the time the game actually happened. It'll be interesting to see how this one rolls around. Uh, both teams coming off a win. Browns dominant over the uh, Arizona Cardinals and the Ravens dominant over the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, so the NFC West was a victim to these two teams last weekend. And uh, we'll see what, how these teams can battle it out this week. I see Kevin has just popped down in the background. And so again, the doghouse, I'm going to bring Kevin in. We're going to talk about this game from both perspectives. We're going to hear how Ravens people are feeling, which uh, it's kind of sucks right now because you know they're feeling good. They're going to talk to us about how Browns fans are feeling right now, and all, all of it leads into a preview of this week's game. So again, I'm going to bring him in right now from the Lockdown Ravens podcast and from the Ravens Wire. It's Kevin Ostriker. Kevin, I, I was just got done talking about this. I just got done saying, the last time I had you on, all I got were notes from people that were like, man, I like that Ravens guy, which is just not supposed to happen here. <laughs> but like, you, you you did well for yourself. You represented Baltimore well. So welcome back into the doghouse, Kevin. Hey, well, I, I appreciate that. I'm glad I could. I glad I could give a positive perspective, a Baltimore perspective for the Clevelanders out there. And again, Cleveland, Ohio. It's not, it's not too positive. It's no, not too no. positive. No, okay, no. okay. I, I, the Ravens, I get it. There's only so much. There's only so much. But I, I'm glad to be back here. I'm excited. Two, it's been a little bit of an interesting month since these two teams have played. We're going to see how it all unfolds at MT Make Stadium. But honestly, this North Division is the best in football right now. All four teams would make the playoffs if they started today, which is just crazy. All right, I want to start. I, I want to hear Baltimore's perspective on this. And I know Browns fans are going to love this. So I want to start by not talking about the Browns and not talking about the Ravens, but talking about a team that has beat both the Browns and the Ravens this year. And somehow, somehow this team just continues to plug along. What 
what the absolute F with the Pittsburgh Steelers? Because since since the last we saw you, you, you guys beat us, and then you went on to lose to the Steelers. How how is this possible? What what kind of soul selling to Satan has to happen for Pittsburgh to to like have a losing season? It is the uh, the Mike Tomlin voodoo magic that that is in Pittsburgh and has been there for ever now. It seems like again a team with Kenny Pickett. The offense is in shambles with Matt Canada there, who I I actually understand what Pittsburgh fans are going through because Ravens fans went through it last year with Greg Roman and. Pittsburgh fans kind of got the raw end of that deal because Baltimore decided to move on from Greg Roman and get a new system in, but the Steelers stuck with their guy. And it seems like the style of coaching that Mike Tomlin has, I don't know what it is. It's a little, it's old school. Mike Tomlin's an old school guy, but somehow it works. I mean, literally against the Browns, the Steelers defense won them that game. The Steelers had no offense. It was literally defensive touchdowns and stops that won them that game. So you're thinking, all right, Kenny Pickett, there's no way the offensive line hasn't been particularly strong over there. But somehow, some way, I mean, I can tell you why they beat the Ravens. It was because the Ravens had seven drops in that game, including three touchdowns, and they hung around enough to get the job but done. But that's the, that's the voodoo magic we're talking about. Mike Tomlin did some voodoo spells, and, and here we are with Pittsburgh right in the thick of the playoff conversation ahead of teams like Buffalo, which is incredible. I mean, that team sucks, Kevin. That team sucks. If that exact roster was dressing up in orange and brown on Sundays in Cleveland, they might have one win on the season. They might have one win. That team sucks. And yet, I don't know. I don't know what has to happen. I don't know if we need to start doing some like ritualistic things, but I feel like, all the other teams in the AFC North have to, the fans have to like band together and figure out something to do to get the damn Pittsburgh Steelers to lose some games. Cause I'm not, there's nothing about this team that I'm afraid of. There's nothing about outside of TJ Watt, nothing about that team worries me. And yet I still worry about playing them. And that is, I, it, it is a nightmare. The, the whole thing is a damn nightmare. I just, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I mean, it's it's literally, it's not just even like it's a this year thing. This has happened for however long you want to go back in the Mike Tomlin era, even with Ben Roethlisberger, with no armed Ben Roethlisberger, couldn't throw the ball more than 10 yards down the field accurately, consistently, made the playoffs with a guy no, like yeah, that. We know. So yeah, I don't I don't even know how they do it. But look, I mean, credit to them for doing it, but not too much because we don't we don't like the Steelers over here. Yeah, no, no credit. Forget that. They, they're, they're, they, there's something nefarious going on. Somebody check to see if that dude from Michigan has been on Pittsburgh sidelines stealing right. signs. Somebody check to see if they got a Stallions brother over on the Pittsburgh sidelines. That's what I want to know. Uh, all right, Kevin. Enough about Pittsburgh. I mean, this isn't about them. Uh, let's talk about. First of all, let's throw it all the way back to Week Four. The last time you and I talked, uh, uh, we were going into a big game. Everybody was all excited about it. Things were going to be fun. And then about one hour before that game started, you and I broke down an entire game, an entire matchup of the Browns are coming off that win over Tennessee and the offense is starting to look good. And Deshaun looked comfortable and, and all that. And this looked like it was going to be a real heavyweight fight. And about one, an hour and a half before that game kicked off, uh, there was a meeting for the Cleveland Browns uh, personnel people, the coaches and Deshaun Watson out on the field. And it kicked off a really weird string of events that have led us to this point, really, uh, Deshaun Watson not playing in that game, Dorian Thompson Robinson just getting thrown to the wolves against Baltimore, completely being not ready, not his fault. Uh, game plan wise, they just it's like they didn't have enough time to figure it out. And your Baltimore Ravens, Kevin, just cruised to a 28 to 3 victory. In which, you know, the funny thing is, I went back before we did this and I looked at the stats from that game. And you would think if you just looked statistically at that game, you'd think it was a really close game. Outside of touchdowns, you'd think it was a close game. Yards, time of possession, everything was really close in that game, except for the turnovers. Uh, and yet, it was probably the easiest win that Baltimore will have this year as Cleveland never threatened them with really anything in that game. Just uh, a wild turn of events in that one. And that set Baltimore off on a pretty good string of games uh, ever since then. Yeah, and I mean, look, I, I actually think Dorian Thompson Robinson has a lot of potential as a quarterback in this league, but it was just a bad hand to draw going up against a Ravens defense that this year is putting up historic numbers. They're super physical flying all around the field. 
And they're a team, the Ravens are, that have had success against rookie and second-year quarterbacks, especially those who haven't seen their defense before because of all the intricacies and the exotic blitzes they run. And that goes back to even Don Martindale. They're not as big of a blitzing team anymore, but Mike McDonald, their new coordinator, who might honestly get head coaching looks this offseason because he's done such a good job, he he's such a nightmare to game plan for. And I can assume on the field, if you're a young quarterback, your first NFL start, that's probably the defense, the defense that you don't want to go up against. And that was a weird one too, because there were just a couple of weird plays in that one where I'm just like, what is Cleveland doing? That Elijah Moore negative 20 yard run. It wasn't where great. I'm just like, where, where at that point you go down after six, you lose six yards. You live to see another day. I think the Browns are actually in the red zone at that point. And then Elijah yeah. Moore just loses 20 yards and it, it sucks all the momentum out of that drive. And I don't even think Cleveland got points on that drive. If I'm, I might be mistaken on that, but this was just a game for the Ravens that set up really nicely. Lamar was efficient, didn't, you know, didn't throw over 300 yards or anything, but well, I think he only threw the ball 19 times. Yeah. Yeah. I had 186 like, yards total through right. the air, but this was a game where Justice Hill had a couple of big plays. Mark Andrews, as Mark Andrews does against Cleveland, scores two touchdowns. He is uh, the mayor of Cleveland, as, as we like to call him over here. So this time around, if you're looking for a guy to stop, you might want to throw four defenders over at Mark Andrews just to got, have a chance to stop him. Because, I mean, you have to at this point. He's, he's had so much success. Well, let's talk about, again, that game just, uh, you know, uh, from a Browns perspective, I think we all left that game. I think a lot of people were a little bit upset because the game plan didn't adjust very much with uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson in there. But I've always said, I don't, you, uh, you could tell that Kevin Stefanski didn't realize what was going to happen until that happened. And so it was kind of like, well, we just got to roll with this and see what happens. I, I give him a little grace for that. Uh, but in the end, the bummer of that game was really, that was going to be a, such a great test for the Cleveland Browns defense. Uh, because this has been the number one defense in so many metrics in the NFL all season. And this was a really good early test for them. And it's hard to lay anything at their feet in a game where offensively, I mean, it's three and out city. It's it's just three and out city offensively. That defense is just running back out on the field every every like two minutes. Uh, and, and it's, I don't know, It's it, that was the real bummer of this game to me because it really felt like that was going to be a measuring stick for this defense. They've passed pretty much every other test this season, but they got to pass the Lamar Jackson test. Uh, and, and we weren't able to see it. I feel like I got robbed. I feel like we all got robbed from seeing that heavyweight matchup. Yeah. And coming into that game, I think Cleveland had the number one rated pass defense and Baltimore had the number two this time around they're flip-flopped Baltimore now has number one. Cleveland now has number two, but again, how much changes if Deshaun Watson is in there? Well, you know, if he hit some of the throws he was hitting last week, it's a different ball game. Obviously, I think any even PJ Walker gives you a better shot than Dorian Thompson Robinson gave you in that game. But I just feel like with this team right now, even even Miles My, Garrett had a pretty good game. Like Miles Garrett's Miles Garrett is he's going to get his. But again, I just don't think the quarterback situation gave Cleveland a chance. Baltimore did what they were supposed to do essentially. They did not let Cleveland get anything going on offense. Defense kept getting out there for Cleveland. I'm sure they were they were gassed after having to play so much. And time of yeah. possession wise, I don't. I'm pulling it up right now. I don't think the Browns. Was, the Browns had a bigger time of possession, shockingly. Yeah, the Browns that, were yeah, over thirty pretty minutes. Even. Thirty ten to twenty nine fifty. So Cleveland held the ball for twenty seconds more. But it's the efficiency because usually with yeah. the Ravens, when the Greg Roman era, it was they're going to hold the ball for eight, nine, ten minutes a drive, run the ball down your throat, and that's kind of how they operate. With Todd Munkin, it's more, we're going to go 75 yards on the field in four minutes, and we don't really care about holding the ball. We just want to score points. So we're going to see what happens this time around. But I do think the – it was weird because, yeah, it happened so right right before kickoff, right before yeah. inactives honestly happened. So, I mean, seems like he's going to be back, right? I mean, he played last week. He's, he's yeah, Deshaun's back. Week. You'd assume, Deshaun's back. You'd assume unless there's a crazy thing that happens on Sunday again. You hope no, not. No, he's back. Oh, safe, God. But. Kevin, Kevin why don't even don't even we don't need it we don't no need energy it. in the air no energy we don't need that manifested out there we don't need that no um let's talk about uh, just from a season perspective let's talk about Lamar Jackson because uh with Lamar Jackson when he's healthy this is what Lamar Jackson does I mean you know I think a lot of times people kind of undervalue Lamar Jackson I'm not here to talk nice about the Baltimore Ravens but when Lamar is healthy he is 
pretty much always finds himself in the thick of MVP conversations. And with the Baltimore Ravens being seven and two on the season, Lamar Jackson is in the thick of MVP conversations as we as we hit week 10. Uh, Lamar has been awesome. And for Baltimore, from your perspective, I think the most important thing that you that you got to talk about with Lamar at this point is that he's healthy. I mean, a healthy Lamar is a dangerous Lamar, and, and he's been great. What's made him so good this year? He's been awesome. And I think part of it is the efficiency that I've mentioned earlier. He leads the league in completion percentage. Passed Josh Allen for that this past week. He's he's isn't making a ton of mistakes throwing the football. I think to me, where the issues have been are the fumbles. Lamar has 10 fumbles this year. Fumbling's been an issue all season. But part of it's just what we've been asking for in Baltimore for so long, which is just surround the guy with some pass catching weapons, not name Mark Andrews. Give him some wide receivers to throw to that are not named Sammy Watkins and Des Bryant and the corpse of Deshaun Jackson and some of those guys. Yet Zay Flowers in the first round, he has been the team's number one receiver. Rashad Bateman and Lodo Beckham Jr. have looked better. I think still underwhelming compared to what the expectations were, but they've looked better. And I think part of that is just because they were injured at the beginning of the year and they're now just getting snaps and getting acclimated. But Lamar, I think, is seeing the field a lot better this year. He's, I think it's honestly, you know, not that the game was fast for him at the start of the year, but it slowed down for him even more. I think he's able to escape the pocket. And again, we see this with every team. You can do everything right against Lamar. You can cover perfectly. You can get immediate pressure. But he can escape, roll out, juke a guy out, and either pick up 15 with his legs or extend the play, get out of the pocket, and find Mark Andrews down the middle of the field for 25 yards. And I think he's doing that a lot more this year where it's the frustration for defense because you game plan around it. You say, well, if, if you miss, I'm going to clean it up. But then he makes both guys miss. And then it's just a, it's a whole different ball game. But the interceptions have not been present for him this season for the most part. The thing that I think I'd like to see the Ravens do a little more is push the ball down the field. They haven't taken a ton of deep shots this year. Lamar has the arm strength for it. Now, the deep ball accuracy has been inefficient inconsistent i would call it but he's hitting the throws that he needs to in the short and intermediate game plus he's using check down options a lot more this year where i think he was almost trying to do too much a little bit early in his career make the flashy play instead of you know what you have gus edwards in the flat and there's no one 15 yards around him just check it down there and see what happens he got he got an 80 yard completion to gus edwards by doing that so I think to me, he's just seeing everything a lot better. Todd Munkin's offense has empowered him. He has control of this offense now, something he did not have under Greg Roman. And this this is Lamar Jackson unleashed, where I think the Greg Roman offense did its job, ran its course, but there, there was a cap to it. The Todd Munkin offense, I think, increased that cap, and we're starting to see that now. You've been talking about it real quick, uh, because I think the Ravens, the look at their season is interesting. Because there's been, and, and, and we're going to get to these games that they played against teams like Detroit and last week against Seattle, where it was just blowout from the beginning. It was just a complete domination of both of those teams. But then when you kind of look, you look at some of these games that they played, again, a, a loss to the Colts, Gardner Minshew and the Colts, a loss to uh, Pittsburgh in which the offense wasn't very good in that game. And then even in some of the wins, like the Arizona win, there was a bit of a struggle there to really do anything against what's not a very good Arizona defense. So when Baltimore has struggled a little bit, which again, hasn't been a ton when you're seven and two on the season, but in the games that they've struggled a little bit, what's been the issue for them? Why have they struggled? Yeah, I think part of it, and look, every team does this. It's not just the Ravens, but sometimes they do play down to competition and I think part of that has to do with the coaching staff and just getting guys ready every week. Other parts of that has to do with just the execution. Maybe guys getting too loosey-goosey. And other teams, you know, these teams, they want to beat the Ravens. I mean, you want to go out there. every give, Any given Sunday is the saying. And for me, it's kind of the self-inflicted mistakes where we could talk about a lot of, you know, the Ravens being super efficient, their defense playing great. But it seems like their biggest enemy is almost themselves where week one against the Texans, they had 13 penalties. Week three against the Colts, that game they lost. Four fumbles on four straight drives. I mentioned the Pittsburgh game, the seven drops there. One or two things happens differently. And this is, it's woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? You mm-hmm. do every, every team does one thing right, then they did, and they win the game. That's what happens. But Oh, that's, uh, yeah, 100%. That's, yeah. that's where we're at with the Browns. Right. Part of it for Baltimore, though, has been just not playing around with their food. 
just, you know, getting the job done, much like we saw against Detroit in Seattle, where the game against Detroit was over by the middle of the second quarter. They were going forward on fourth down and eight at their own 50-yard line with six minutes to go. In this. They had six fourth down attempts in that game. <laughs> so yeah. you can tell by that, it was 28 nothing. That's what you want. Baltimore's been a little inconsistent on offenses. I think they start really strong and struggle for the rest of the year or the rest of the game. And then there's the other aspect, the other side of it, which is they start slow, but then they pick it up as the game goes on. Now, the game against Detroit and the game against Seattle has given a lot of people hope because that was full 60 minutes, domination all the way through. And hopefully the offense is beginning to peak now instead of, you know, peaking in September and then being done by November. Maybe you're peaking in November and you want to do that because you want to be playing your best football in January. But if they can avoid the self-inflicted mistakes, the fumbles, the turnovers, the drops and everything, that they're a hard team to beat. Yeah, listen, you talked about inches and 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 one play here or there. I can tell you the right now the Browns are two plays away from having one loss on the season. The only the only game that was a definitive loss, like a you're not going to win this game was against Baltimore. Otherwise, you make one play against Pittsburgh and you don't turn the ball over at the end against Seattle and you got one loss on the year. Uh but they're also three plays away from having six losses on the year. So like it, it it really is the the Brown season. That's how it's been. The games they've won, it's just been one extra play that they've been able to make. The game, except for this last week against Arizona, where they really just ran away with that game. Uh, and the games they've lost have been all you had to do was just not do one stupid thing, and you did one stupid thing, and you lost. So that's that's how the season has been for us. We got a question for you in the comments from our commenter Zuchengo here. Uh, last time we talked, we talked a lot about injuries for Baltimore, uh, and there were a lot of injuries, offensive line, defensive line, uh, defensive backfield, wide receiver. There were a lot of injuries going on before they played the Browns the first time. How healthy are the Ravens now? Any big major injuries they're dealing with right now? You know, I will say, and this is the first time I've probably said this in four years, but the Ravens are really healthy right now, honestly, not a lot of injuries to report. The big one is Marcus Williams. He ended, he was actually injured the last time the Ravens played the Browns, came back and then got injured again. So he's been out with a hamstring injury, also had the arm issue as well earlier. It's unclear whether he'll play or not. I think he's on track to at least have a shot this week. Maybe they'll save him for Thursday night. But other than that, Morgan Moses is the only other one really that, that's worth monitoring. He missed the game last week against Seattle. Maybe he'll be back this week. But they've gotten most of their guys back with – the only really season-ending injury being J.K. Dobbins with the Achilles he suffered in week one. They got Ronnie Stanley back. They got Tyler Linderbaum back, Odell, Rashad Bateman, Marlon Humphrey. All those guys are now back in the fold for them. So it was a rough first couple of weeks, first two or three weeks for them. They lost like four starters a game. But ever since, they really haven't had to deal with a lot there, which is so weird considering really since the 2020 season, they've been one of the most injured teams in the league. So health, health plays a big factor for every single team, every single year. I always go back to, I mean, the year Baltimore went 14 and two in 2019, they lost, I think one starter the entire year and they were healthy. Otherwise mm -hmm. the year Cincinnati went to the Super Bowl, they lost, I think maybe two starters that year. So yep. health plays a factor. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Nuggets fan. The Nuggets won the championship last year because they lost zero players to injury. So right. you got in all the sports, you got to figure about the injury reports, injury situations. And right now, Baltimore is actually looking pretty good. So again, since the last time the Browns and Ravens played Baltimore's four and one, you got the weird loss to Pittsburgh. And then your, your schedule is all weird. The weird loss to Pittsburgh and then two close wins against the two worst teams in Tennessee. And sorry, I know people don't, I really don't like Tennessee in Tennessee and Arizona. Both those were pretty close games and then blowout wins against Detroit and Seattle, which were probably the two best teams uh, that, or at least what you would assume were the two best teams in that stretch. Again, four and one since the last time they played. Uh, talk about those big games. Talk about those games against Detroit. Talk about those games against Seattle. Is there just a different energy with the team? Like, is this is this a Baltimore team that you feel like kind of turns it on a little bit when they see an opponent like Detroit coming in? Uh, I always feel like that's a little dangerous, like uh, being a flip the switch team, because sometimes the switch doesn't flip. Uh, but I don't know. Do you sense that that's kind of what happened in those two games? Because, I mean, they neither neither Detroit nor Seattle had a shot in those games. 
Yeah, it 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 seems that way. I mean, look, if the Ravens play, if the Ravens play up and down the competition, if they can just make the playoffs, they'll win the Super Bowl because they'll just right. every team in the playoffs is good. So you just play play up to your playoff competition and win every single game. But I think that is what it is. Where the Ravens know that they're a good football team, and I do think sometimes they let their foot off the gas, whether it is in preparation with the coaching staff, execution with the players. I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's very. It's not noticeable in terms of oh they're just lazing around the field on Sunday but I think there is a, a switch Roquan Smith has turned into a leader for them he's very passionate very emotional and he's kind of one of the heartbeats of this team alongside Lamar Jackson and a couple other guys and I think they know when it's time to play it's time to play and Detroit and Seattle just it's been outscored those two teams 75 to 9 combined the Lions yeah. had a top 10 defense, both in rushing and passing coming in. The Seahawks had a top 10 defense in both rushing and passing coming in too. They're good teams. You know, just because the Ravens beat them by so much doesn't mean they're not good football teams. And honestly makes what they did that much more impressive. But yeah, the, the thing is consistency. Can you be consistent and not have games like you did against the Cardinals, where it did feel like they, they took their foot off the gas a little bit and Josh Dobbs almost beats him. And then he actually goes to Minnesota the next week and <laughs> picks up what against the Falcons, which is incredible right? in its own right. But Baltimore has, I think, a, uh, I don't know, a feeling in them, like the, the spidey senses, I guess, that, you know, hey, this, this we're playing a good football team here from the from the first snap to the last snap. We, we got to go out here and play football. And whenever it's Tyler Huntley time in Baltimore, usually that's a good thing. It means the Ravens have blown out their opponents to the point where they don't need Lamar anymore. We got a lot of that in 2019. Got a, we've gotten some of it over the past couple of years, but. Last two home games, the uh, M&T Bay Stadium crowd has been treated to uh, some Tyler Huntley time, which is what the Ravens want for sure. Hey, uh, we got a question in the comments that I'm going to bring up here in a minute from another Kevin. Uh, you guys are he, he, <laughs> good he really name. loves good that name. about you is that your name is Kevin. Uh, but I had this in my notes. He was the next guy I was going to bring up because the guy that's got to be the talk of Baltimore right now is this kid, Keaton Mitchell, that ran the ball nine times for a almost 140 yards. Uh, he scored a touchdown. Uh, and again, Gus Edwards is there. Uh, the running game, Lamar Jackson, obviously Lamar Jackson, I'm pretty sure at this point would be the Browns leading rusher. Um, uh, uh, and obviously without Nick Chubb, that's not me trying to be a jerk about it, but, um, uh, but here's this Keaton Mitchell dude that just exploded in this game against Seattle. So Kevin's question was with all the exposed explosive plays, the explosive day that he had on Sunday, uh, do you anticipate them getting him more involved and getting the ball into his hands more uh, in this upcoming game and, frankly, in weeks ahead? Yeah, I, I definitely do. Keaton Mitchell was somebody, you know, the Browns stole my draft crush in Jerome Ford at the running back position last year. Yep. And my draft crush this year at the running back position was Keaton Mitchell. And they got him an undrafted free agency. I was very happy about it. And partially because, look, the guy has 4.37 speed, elusive, explosive. And the thing that we saw against the Seahawks was, I believe, 132 of his 138 yards came after contact, which for a guy who's kind of the, the smaller build, smaller stature, you don't really expect that. But he hit holes hard, was running between the tackles. The thing, the thing we saw in the preseason with him is he knows he's fast. So he tried to bounce it outside and just beat guys with his speed. That's not going to work all the time in the NFL, especially with how right. fast some of these guys are. And look, you want to talk about Cleveland, but guys like JOK and some of the, these fast guys they have. Keaton Mitchell cannot run most of the guys on the field, but NFL defense, you just can't bounce them outside every play and expect to pick up 20 yards. So I thought it was really impressive. It's decisiveness just to go attack. And Baltimore, I think he's the perfect compliment. I know here in Baltimore at the trade deadline, we were talking – a lot about Derrick Henry and Saquon mm -hmm. Barkley and Josh Jacobs and how awesome it would be. And it would have been, would have been really cool. But the Ravens, I think, have a perfect complement of guys right now because what you have is Gus Edwards is your bruiser. You know, your power bat can pick you up three yards when you need two and five yards when you need four. And then Keaton Mitchell's kind of the opposite. He's your, he's your speedster, explosive, and that elusiveness, the element I talked about there. And then Justice Hill is in the middle, an underrated bruiser, and also has the elusiveness and the speed to him. But Keaton Mitchell looked everything and more. We saw this in the preseason, got injured, and spent the first couple weeks of the year on IR, came back, got injured again. So he's definitely going to be used by this Ravens team. We saw the Ravens against, uh, I think it was Detroit, use him in a couple different packages and honestly used him in a couple different trick plays. So I'm excited to see if that's what they end up using him for. But 
he's going to get some snaps. I, th- I still think Gus Edwards is the number one. I don't think that's going to change, but I think Justice Hill and Keaton Mitchell might begin to split that number two back duty, especially with how well Keaton played on Sunday. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. On the other side, I do want to bring it over here to Cleveland a little bit, Kevin. And again, if you've got some questions, that's just a, you know, you know, what's funny about division opponents. You, sh- you you feel like you know them the best. You feel like you know the Pittsburghs and the Cincinnati's and the Clevelands and the Baltimore the best, right? But in general, these are the teams that are kind of playing at the same time as your team. So you, you watch them when you can, but at the same time, you're watching your team. So if you got any questions about how things have gone in Cleveland, it's been a ride, Kevin, since the last time we talked. Well, I, I have one. I have one. Can you tell me a little bit about your thoughts on former Raven James Prochet? Only been a week but got signed to the active roster and seemed to give him some juice. All right. A couple things. One, I mean, I'm, I wasn't, I didn't have any feel bad about Donovan people's Jones going. I wish it would have worked out a little better here, but it wasn't working out. Uh, Prochet coming in and taking number 11 week one uh, after they trade people's Jones, which that it felt a little too soon. It felt a little too soon. Um, uh, That area of a decent punt returner, and, and that's what he was in the game. He was pretty good returning punts. He didn't, you know, he didn't do anything crazy spectacular. He was just pretty good at returning punts. Has been something that's been so sorely needed for the Cleveland Browns for years now. They've been putting guys out there that can't catch punts, that don't know where the hell the punts are going to land, that can't figure out how to field a punt. They don't know. They don't even know the basics of like, you know, what they teach you in high school, like put your heels on the 10 and if it goes over your head, just let it go or whatever. They are, they are just, lo- they've been lost out there. So I'll be honest with you, that one week, we'll see how it goes. But that one week was incredibly noticeably different uh, for him at the punt return spot. So I think a lot of Browns fans were very excited about yeah. Prochet. That's it. D- didn't didn't work out in Baltimore. Just made, made did, never really got a shot. Really hard worker. You know, probably one of the hardest workers in the league, honestly. But. Yeah, I'm happy you got another opportunity now. For one week, I hope it doesn't go super well for him. But obviously, you know, still still rooting for him because he is a really good, good kid. And, you know, if he gives Cleveland the juice they need, then that's an area where I know Baltimore's kind of had their struggles, but they found a guy in Devin DuVernay who was the other receiver Baltimore took yes. in that James Perche draft class. So maybe both of them will have big returns on Sunday. Yeah, the nice thing about Prochet is you don't expect anything out of him. You don't expect him to do anything offensively. He's just go out there and be the punt returner and don't be bad. And that's what he was. And it was a breath of fresh air. He went out and he wasn't bad. And it was a breath of fresh air. That's where the Browns are as far as the punt return game has been the last, I don't know, six or seven years. Uh, It's been a wild ride since the last time we talked. We had the DTR (laughs) game. We had a bye week. Uh it's been very stressful here in Cleveland, Kevin, because there was never a definitive answer as to when Deshaun Watson was coming back because it's not, it wasn't one of those injuries. It wasn't one of those, Hey, this is a torn, whatever. That's a four to six week injury done. This was a, this isn't really showing up on the scans too much. So we don't really know what we're looking at. It's he's going to come back when he feels better. He tried to come back against Indianapolis. He played about a minute and a half and then had to leave that game. And somehow, since the last time we talked, while the Ravens were 4-1, and one, since the last time we talked, since the last time these teams played, the Browns are 3-1 and one, since the last time they played, since, since we played the Ravens. So somehow, this Cleveland Browns team behind a, an incredible defense, and like a little bit of magic and a little bit of luck, since they played Baltimore, have gone out there and beaten the 49ers with a practice squad quarterback. They went out and won a shootout 
against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, and then last week they dominated a game with their quarterback finally. So the funny thing here is, Kevin, we still don't really feel like we have a sense. And I won't speak for everybody. But for me personally, I feel like I don't really have a sense of what the Browns could be because we haven't seen really the Browns. We haven't seen the quarterback at full strength until last week. And it really took him about a half the game to really get into the game. Uh, and and they've somehow, as weird and wonky as this season has felt, have been three and one since the last time we 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 saw the Browns and Ravens go go up against each other. So uh it's it's not been quite as smooth as what you've been watching there in Baltimore, but it's still resulting in wins, which not something we're accustomed to. When things aren't smooth, we don't usually get wins here in Cleveland. But things have been rocky, and they're still getting wins. So, I don't know. They're figuring it out. And for me, I think that there's, there's a lot with the whole North. And just like Cincinnati, we were talking before I remember the last time, mm-hmm. we're saying, well, Joe Burrow's not going to be held the entire season, and they should have just put him on IR. Yeah, and right. Now they're, they're – much like Baltimore, they're on a four-game win streak. And yeah, they're, they're looking like, people. oh, this, all right, they're back now. In Pittsburgh, we talked about their voodoo magic. Cleveland's had a, a bit of luck on their side and obviously had the weird situation, but their defense is playing lights out. Baltimore's defense is playing lights out too. This whole division, and that's why I think this game is so important because the divisional losses, I think, come December, come January, they're going to mean something yeah. in that divisional record. And the Ravens have two big ones, not only this one, but they play Cincinnati on Thursday night football after this game at home. So two big stretches coming up for the Ravens and their schedule gets a little tough as the year goes on. They have an LA sandwich, the Chargers, then a bye, then the Rams. But then their last month of the year goes Jacksonville, San Francisco, Miami, Pittsburgh. That's a, it's a gauntlet of games right there. And I'm not saying Baltimore, they're a good football team. They can obviously hang in those games, but you want to get as many wins as you can now. So you don't have to worry as much later in the season about the divisional seating, conference seating. So that's why, you know, we look at a week 10 game and you're like, Oh, well, if they win or if they lose, it's not going to impact things too much. But you talk about that in week 18 and you're thinking either, man, I really wish that they had won that game or I'm really Glad they did because now we don't have to worry about right. X, Z. Uh, all right. So I had one question, one more question uh, from a commenter here. And this is about a former Brown, uh, but Serge MDC in the comments wants to know, um, haven't really kept up with Jadevian Clowney, but what's the, uh, what's the verdict in Baltimore on Jadevian Clowney? How's he been playing for you guys? He's been awesome. He, he's been great. The week nine game actually marked he's beaten every one of his former teams in Baltimore, Texans, Seahawks, 40 or 49ers, Browns and uh, Titans. All four of those have been wins for him. So he'll have a chance to double up the Browns here in week 10. But he's had three and a half sacks this year. But that doesn't really tell the story. And I don't think, you know, his sacks tell the story for his entire career, as I think. Correct. You, you know, he's yep. someone that is a high pressure guy, very good run defender but the sack numbers can be inconsistent. Now this year he's had the opportunity to probably have six or seven, but he just hasn't been able to finish getting the quarterback down. He's wrapped up, but hasn't finished the tackle quarterback escapes, but he's been super physical and honestly much better than I anticipated him being at this point. He's been probably Baltimore's best edge defender this year. They also signed Kyle Van Noy in like week three and he has five sacks in six games. Baltimore signed Clowney about, middle of August, late August. Yeah. And he's come in and has provided a bunch. Now he's, he's wearing 24. So I haven't really gotten used to that. It, Marcus Peters had that number for a while. And I'm like, Oh, Marcus Peters is out there, but he's like six, seven and has dreads. <laughs> so that, that's been a little weird to get used to, but he in general, clowny has been awesome. He's really embraced the city, embraced the organization, embraced the franchise. And I think it's worked out very, very well for them. All right. So Kevin, and again, Kevin Ostriker, go follow him online at kostriker34 on Twitter. Uh, Ravens Wire, Locked on Ravens. Uh, uh, again, people are just going to like you again, which sucks. Uh, <laughs> we were supposed to dislike you, Kevin. And uh, But uh, let's talk about this game. Uh, and uh, let's just kind of break it down again. I, I don't know how much has changed, but again, we've seen these teams now uh, for a good chunk of the season. So let's break down this Browns-Ravens game that's coming up Sunday in Baltimore. Um, I had this thing in my head that I think the Browns play better in Baltimore than they when they play the Ravens than they play in Cleveland. 
it doesn't result. The Browns haven't hardly beat Baltimore hardly at all ever. Uh, but I feel like they play better in Baltimore. They're always close, tough games in Baltimore. Uh, and so uh, let's just start with that Ravens offense. Um, when you see what the Browns do, when you see lots of man coverage, lots of pressure coming from that defensive line, that defensive line played about the, as good of a game as you could see a defensive line play in that Arizona game uh, this last week. Uh, and 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 what you know about what the Ravens are going to try to do to attack them. Just talk about that matchup as you see it now that we know what these teams look like a little bit better going into this game. Yeah, well, the Baltimore offensive line is super physical, and the and the Cleveland defensive line is super physical. Now with Miles Garrett, you just it's almost like Lamar a little bit. You just have to live with him making plays. Miles Garrett's gonna make plays. You, you can do everything you can to stop him. Teams have tried that, and guess what? He's still the, one of the best, if not the best, pass rushers in this league, and that the game honestly is ever seen. He's definitely in that category already. So you have to live with that. But can you neutralize the other guys? Can Zadarius Smith maybe, you know, some of those other guys have an off day? Or what about Dalvin Tomlinson? Can you neutralize him on the interior? There are areas where if the Ravens can just get Lamar the ability to sit in that pocket, survey the field. Now, I'm not saying he can't, you know, go outside the pocket and make things happen. He's, he's the very best at doing that in the entire league. Right. But Baltimore's offensive line has surprised me, especially with John Simpson at the left guard position, who essentially that was the only position that the Ravens really had a question at coming into the season. Simpson won it. He's been putting guys on the ground, put, taking guys to the bus. Like he, he's been a force for them. Now, the one thing I will say is Ronnie Stanley struggled a bit this year. He, he isn't dropping anchor as well as he used to. You probably can chalk that up to the injury he suffered. seems like all these years ago against Pittsburgh, which was right. a very serious injury. Took multiple surgeries and multiple years to come back from. But he got beat on a play really badly by Boye. Mafe that resulted in Lamar strip sack. Got see out of the ball back right before the half. Now, luckily, Baltimore's defense is so good. They just picked – they got the ball right. right back two plays later. But Stanley is, I think – it's weird because – it's weird to talk about Ronnie Stanley as like the weak link of an offensive line because he's an all pro, right. multiple time pro bowler. He's still a good player. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to come off as oh he's he's terrible now, but he, I don't I don't think he is who he was, and that's okay. I don't think a lot of people expected him coming off an injury like that to just have everything be amazing once it happened. But at this point, Patrick McCarry, who has stepped in for Morgan Moses, whether it is McCarry or Moses at the at the right at the right tackle position. We're going to have to see where the Browns decide to line Miles Garrett up at. I remember last last time we were talking about uh, Miles doing his little basketball yeah. crossover moves and the Titans sending two tight ends to, to cover him. Like, that's the type of player he is. But Tyler Linderbaum has been incredible as their center. He, he's on track to be an all-pro this year. Kevin Zeitler, former Brown, is as steady as ever. So Baltimore's offensive line – it's a test for them. It's also a test for Cleveland's defensive line. I'm, I'm yeah. excited to see how it goes. I, you've watched, you've covered the Ravens. You've watched the Ravens. When you see a team that forces Lamar Jackson to not look superhuman out there, what's the number one thing that they're doing? What's the number one thing that they're doing well to make Lamar look a little bit more pedestrian? Uh, because we know we can have those kind of games. What's usually the cause of that? I think a lot of it has to do with just getting him rolling early and giving him confidence. And Lamar is always going to be confident in his ability, confident in his guys. That's just who he is. But for me, and you know, me saying this, not stepping on the field and trying to tackle him, which by the way, I could not do if I tried. No, no, but no, no. You and I the- <laughs> out there together could not do that. So that's no, fine. No, we, I don't think it. It's very, I think any anytime someone can tackle Lamar one-on-one, like I, I'd frame that. Like I'd get that picture framed. If, if Do I you know how defender. scared I would be if something ran past me as fast as Lamar Jackson? I would think it was a train <laughs> or like a car. I, I, what I, the I hell? Would, I'd be in the hospital. My ankles would be gone. I'd be yeah, in the no. hospital. No, no, but no, no. With that, part of it is just letting him escape and do like the street football thing. Like, he's so good at it. Him and Mark Andrews have this undeniable chemistry. Again, Mark Andrews seems to level up when he plays the Browns. But you just have to get him down on the first attempt. Like yeah. there are there are plenty of plays this year and over the course of Lamar's career where defenses do everything right. They cover for four or five seconds, which is incredible in today's game. But 
Lamar makes a defender miss, and then all of a sudden, a receiver can come back to the ball. He can break out. And Lamar finds those guys nine times out of ten. He's so good yeah. at doing that. And part of it also is almost sending blitzes. Sometimes Lamar doesn't know how to handle the blitz. Now, he's been a lot better at it this year. And part of that is he doesn't try to do too much. He gets the ball out quickly. He's, he's done that a lot better. But a, a guy that has had a lot of Lamar success, Gus Bradley. And he's been a guy even dating back to his Jacksonville days. Now, obviously, yeah. him being in Indianapolis. What the Colts did to kind of stifle that Ravens team was they started to blitz from everywhere in the fourth quarter of that game. And Lamar did not have very many answers to it. So if you can get pressure on him and again, get him down because Baltimore now has the Zay Flowers and the Rashad Batemans and the Odell Beckhams. It's not Willie Sneeds and Seth Roberts and and the Sean Jacksons and all those guys. So with the route runners they have one-on-one, it's very hard to defend everybody plus have Mark Andrews out there too. So you got to get him down and in some in some way, I guess, rattle him, but he's very hard to rattle, especially when he's so locked in, which I think he is this year. I mean, Baltimore won 37 to six against Detroit or yeah, whatever it was, 37 to six, 36 to six. And after that game, Lamar was like, we played not, we didn't play well. We have, we have, so we have so many things to clean up. And that's the mindset you like, the Ravens should have that mindset, but that team was not happy about that win. And I'm like, you won 30, you beat this Lions team that's been incredible all year by almost 30 points. But for teams that want that greatness, for teams that want to win the Super Bowl, you want to clean up all that stuff. And so Lamar's locked in, the team is locked in, and you got to kind of break that spell that he's in. And it's it's a good one for him right now. Uh, on the other side, it's the Ravens defense, which has been awesome. Again, you talked about it, uh, the number one pass defense uh, in the league uh, against uh, the Browns offense, which we're still figuring out uh, Deshaun Watson's back. Uh, there was a little rust to start the game. He looked much better. He made some wicked throws. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the deep balls to, to Amari Cooper, but he made some big time throws as that game went on, even in the intermediate game. Uh, so it looked like he kind of loosened in uh, to that. Again, the Browns are going to be without their starting left tackle. So we don't know what that's going to look like. Is it going to be James Hudson on the outside? Jed Wills went down with a, uh, what they're saying may not be a season ending knee injury, but, it's going to keep him out a minute. Browns have already lost their starting right tackle for the year, but uh, the big Thanos, Dewan Jones, has come in and played really well in in the stead of Jack Conklin. Uh, so it's this Browns offense, which uh, Kevin, it's it's a, it's again, it's a weird go. It's a very boomer best uh, boom or bust rushing attack. Uh, probably the one of the most inefficient running attacks in the entire NFL, but they still try to get after it uh for for you know in the run game uh it doesn't help when you don't have your starting left tackle uh and 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 it's all gonna hinge i mean t- to me kevin it all hinges on it's deshaun watson the guys are out there david njoku's a threat he's been really good this year they're still trying to find a ways to get elijah Moore involved uh amari cooper is the best receiver that nobody talks about until they're like oh yeah amari cooper uh from a defensive perspective how have you seen teams that have maybe been able to attack this Ravens defense a little bit? Where have they been most successful? To me, I think it's finding just being able to one, keep the Ravens pass rush off of them because they are, they've been a top team in sacks for the entire year now. And part of that has to do with Baltimore's defensive line gets their hands up. Like Michael Pierce will bat down balls. Justin Matabike will bat down balls. Brent Urban will do it. And you know, they're not the flashiest plays in the world, but it counts as an incompletion and puts you in second and long or third and long situations. But for me, I think part of having success against this Baltimore defense is opening up the rushing lanes early and not allowing Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen to make plays. This, I think it's the best middle linebacker duo in the league right now. They're playing lights out football. And part of that is because Baltimore has so many beefy guys up front in, in the best way. Like Michael Pierce takes up two blockers. Justin Matabike has been incredible as an interior pass rusher and as a run defender too. And that frees up guys like Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen on blitzes. And literally quarterbacks have less than two seconds to throw before there's a guy right in their face. And Baltimore's defense, again, I think their pass rush has been so good this year. It, it almost, you want to say masks their inexperienced in terms of Brandon Stevens playing, but Stevens has been awesome. I mean, Geno Stone is the interceptions leader right now. He has more interceptions than like, I think 10 or 
more teams. Like he's been that good this year. So it's been really hard to get momentum against this Ravens defense, but it's almost again, like they beat themselves. They've had a couple of untimely penalties. They sometimes have issues with losing guys, whether it be tight ends or wide receivers. So you have to spread them out, I think. And when they blitz, you got to get the ball out quickly and take advantage. Because Baltimore will blitz. They will be aggressive. And you can't try to do too much with that. I think you have to have a couple of check down options there. Because when Baltimore gets to you, obviously the thing with blitz is if you send eight guys, there are very right. minimal guys left. And if you can get blockers out in front, the screen passes, the short dump offs work. So it's Baltimore's defense is almost a bend, don't break, and has been for a while. Now this year, they're not even bending as much, but they will give you the short stuff. They'll say, you know what? You can drive down to your own 30. You can drive down to the red zone. We're not going to let you score a touchdown. And what their philosophy is, is if they don't allow one touchdown the entire game and just field goals, they feel confident enough in their offense with Lamar Jackson and all those weapons out there that they can outscore a team that just kicks field goals all game. So as yeah. long as as long as they don't get beat deep, which they have not been beat deep a lot this season, that's what it is. So if you can take advantage of the short stuff, the intermediate stuff, and convert in the red zone, that's a different story. But Baltimore's been lights out there, and, and that's where the struggle is with these offenses and converting against Baltimore's defense. Kevin, give me the biggest matchup, the biggest thing in this game that you're looking forward to. I think for me, it, it's Mark Andrews against the Cleveland defense. He's, he's just been so good. And I feel like that's where you have to start, right? If you're Cleveland, make someone else beat you. <laughs> like, you, you know Andrews has done it. He has done it. It was another two-touchdown day for Andrews in this one, in, or in the last one. So if Odell Beckham beats you, wouldn't feel good because of the Cleveland history. But right. at least just stop Mark Andrews and you can hang your hat on something like that. Zay Flowers, if he beats you, you know you're, you're doing your best to cover Mark Andrews and take him out of the equation. Because Lamar and Mark Andrews have that connection. It's, it's a security blanket type deal for him. And they do a lot of street ball improvising where it's off script. And Andrews and Lamar have that connection where Lamar knows where Mark Andrews is going to be. And Mark Andrews knows where Lamar wants to throw the football. So maybe for some of those guys that don't have quite the connection with Lamar, like Odell, who hasn't been there for a year with him yet. Zay hasn't been there for a year yet. Or Rashad Bateman, who's been in and out with injury. I would feel a lot better with a with Cleveland's defense if they just said, you know what? We're going all out to stop Mark Andrews. Beat us if you can with the wide receivers. We're not letting Mark Andrews do that to us this game. Yeah, and I think defensively, uh, and I'll get to what I'm most looking forward to, but defensively, for the Browns, I, I mean, the Ravens are so good at running the ball, and the Browns' defense has been amazing against the run. They've got it. I think you've got to take the run away from the Ravens, and and that's not easy to do uh, because the Ravens love to run the ball, and when you buy just by by default have a quarterback that can run the way Lamar can, it's a real test. Uh, but you can't let Baltimore get out on those big, long runs. You can't let them start pulling. You can't let that offensive line get rolling in the run game because that's what makes it easy for Lamar then to start dropping back on play actions and just dropping back and hitting guys downfield. Uh, from a Browns perspective, the wide receivers, I really like Zay Flowers, so don't take this as anything. I think Zay Flowers has a lot of really good years ahead of him, but the wide receivers for the Ravens don't, when you look at the defensive backs for the Browns versus the wide receivers, doesn't strike terror into my, into my soul because these are really great defensive backs. So I think the receiving threat, you called it out 100%. It's Mark Andrews. They got it between Jeremiah Wusukoromoa and Anthony Walker and Sione Takitaki and Juan Thornhill and Grant Delpit. Those guys in the middle got to figure out a way to stick with Mark Andrews. Uh, and then they got to figure out a way to play the run. Uh, I, For me, the, the real key to this game is going to be this Browns offensive line against the Ravens defensive line and, and, and blitzing and all that stuff. Because, again, there's a little banged up action happening. You've got to try to give Deshaun Watson a chance uh, to get himself going in this game. And you got to try to get some kind of running game going. So uh, I think it's a huge, huge, huge test. One that they're probably not favored in at all for the Browns offensive line. Again, your your interior guys are still great. Uh, but the, uh, the outsides can be a question. That Browns offensive line is going to have to bring it in this game to give the offense a chance. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that's where it is, 100%. I mean... To me, it all starts up front in the trenches for both 
teams. If you don't have a good, if you don't have good offensive line play, your rushing lanes close, your quarterback gets hit, and you, you don't win the game. That's so it. you got to have good offensive line play both sides. I mean, really, offensive line, defensive line, that's where you win and lose the game, in my opinion. All right. So Kevin Ostreicher, last question, prediction: the seven and two uh, Baltimore Ravens, the five and three Cleveland Browns in Baltimore this Sunday. What's your final prediction for this game? I, I cannot pick against Baltimore right now the way they're playing. I think it's I think this one will be. T- I've said that against Detroit and against Seattle, and look what happened. Oh, great, blew out of the water. <laughs> great, Kevin. But I will say that look, these AFC North matchups are so weird. Like usually they come down to the wire. Obviously, didn't happen last time. But I don't know with Miles Garrett and that that Cleveland defensive line. I still like Cleveland's defense a lot, but. Baltimore's defense is playing at an all-time level. I don't know if Cleveland's offense, even with Deshaun Watson, can get things going against that Baltimore defense. And I think that the offense, with the way they played in their back-to-back home games, gives me confidence that they can get this thing done, even if it's a little bit of a struggle against a really good Cleveland defense. So I think it's going to be close, maybe uh, something along the lines of 27 to 24 or something. But I'm, I'm going to give Baltimore the win. All right. I'm going to, I'm, this is my go out on Olympic, uh, but I'm picking the Browns against uh, Baltimore and I have not picked the Browns in every game this year, uh, but uh, this, this game has to mean extra to the Browns and they have to play like it means extra because this game has to mean extra. You lose this game and Baltimore launches uh, to where they would go in the division. Doesn't mean you can't make the playoffs, but the division is out of reach. You lose this game if you're the Browns. So this game has to mean a whole lot more. Uh, to the Browns and not saying that it's not going to mean something to Baltimore, but it has to mean more to the Browns. And so I think the Browns come out and play with fire. I think they hate the way the first game against Baltimore went down. I think it was an embarrassment. I think the coaches were pissed. I think the players were pissed. I think defensively they were embarrassed that they gave up 28 points. Uh, and I think they're going to come out. And um, I think there's going to be uh, an, uh, uh, an overly aggressive defense, but I think I mean that in a good way. I think it's going to be controlled. And this Browns offense, as weird as they've been, when Deshaun is at the helm, they're one of those teams that can play kind of weird, but still somehow you get to the end of the game and they put up 28 or 31 or something like that. Uh, And so I was thinking of the exact same situation, but I'm going to make it more of a field goal situation and say it's like 28 to 27 at the end, but I'm going to give it to the Browns. Uh, And I don't know. I just feel it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling good about it. It's going to be a tough game. It's an AFC North battle, and it's, you know, this game, it always means something when it's Cleveland and Baltimore. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it definitely does. So you're putting the faith in Dustin Hopkins over Justin Tucker. I, that, that's bold. I like it, though. I like it, though. We'll see hey, Dustin, how it Dustin's been a monster. Dustin Hopkins has been a monster <laughs> this year. He's been a monster. All right, Kevin Ostrich. For a while. Yeah, yeah, you're telling me. Uh, Go follow Kevin if you want to know more about what the Ravens are talking about and more about how the Ravens are preparing for this game. Go follow Kevin on Twitter at KOSTRIKER34 on Twitter. Again, he does Lockdown Ravens. He does the Ravens Wire. And really just one of the best uh, one of the best people I've talked to this entire process through the doghouse. Uh, Kevin, you know your stuff, man. Uh, and I really, I really enjoy talking Browns-Ravens with you. I hope your team loses by 1,000 this weekend, but otherwise <laughs> I hope – you, uh, I hope you just continue having a good time covering that team out there and, and keep up the great work, man. I appreciate that. And yeah, like, likewise to you, hopefully it's a Ravens by a thousand in this one, but maybe we'll talk a third, maybe Ravens Browns playoffs. Maybe we'll be talking about that come January. So we'll see how this one goes and, and big implications all around for sure. But thanks again. I really appreciate it. And I had a lot of fun. From your lips to God's ears, I sincerely hope we are talking again (laughs) for a playoff game. That would be amazing. Kevin Ostreicher, thanks again, man. Have a good rest of your night. You too. Thanks so much. Again, go follow. Oh, I don't know why Kevin keeps going in and out. There we go. That's my fault. Uh, Go follow Kevin online. Uh, Awesome. I got to figure out how way to get guys in here that we can hate for division rivals. It's just not, it's not working out. It's not working out. You can't hate Kevin. Uh, Really good breakdown though. Kevin always comes in and brings it from both sides uh, and really uh, breaks down the game. Well, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one for the Cleveland Browns, but you you can't, you got to beat the best to be the best. So hopefully the Browns come out, play with their, with their, with their tails on fire, uh, with their hair on fire and they come out and get a win in Baltimore. Listen, that's going to do it for the doghouse. I'm leaving for an hour. I'm coming back. 
in one hour. It's Garage Beers time. we got special guest Aditi Kinkabwala coming on at 9 o'clock. Plus, we're going to talk all, all things Browns, all things AFC North. Plus, the Guardians have a new manager. The Cavs are playing. The Blue Jackets are playing. The Buckeyes. we got a lot of stuff to get to on Garage Beers. So make sure you are tuned in in one hour. We will get kicked off on Garage Beers Live. And again, make sure you are tuned into everything OBR, the OBR.com, and then Twitch, YouTube. Make sure you hit the follow button. Make sure you hit like and subscribe and all that stuff. And tell your friends. Tell your friends. If they're not paying attention to the OBR, get them over here to the OBR. We have a good time. So otherwise, again, big thank you to Kevin Ostriker. Big thank you to Ian McBride in the background for getting us on the air and making us look good. Uh, and thank you to all of you that joined in. Great questions in the chat. The chat was lively. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. And I will see you again in one hour. And until next week for the Doghouse, go Browns, everybody. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 